Good morning, everyone. Whenever um, guest speakers come, they usually tell about their family life and show pictures of their family. Can I show you my latest edition? Uh, this is our latest edition. Um, much cuter than any of my kids, and so I thought I'd share that with you. So, um, and I'm not just saying that because my kids aren't here. I'd say that right to them. Um, that's a little Baxter. Baxter's a little golden doodle. Um, I, I got to tell you, he's the love of our life. Um, and so I tell my kids often, learn from Baxter. Do, do what Baxter is doing. Um, most people, when they come in and speak, they have uh, one shot. They get one shot, one opportunity to tell everything there is about them, about their lives, about the gospel. About, and, and thankfully, that's not the case this time around. And so I have four weeks with you. So we're going to ease into our relationship together. I don't feel like I have to get it all out in one uh, message, which I'm incredibly thankful for. Um, and so as we continue on this journey over the next four weeks, you'll hear more about me and, and my story and, uh, and my family and whatnot. Um, I do have uh, uh, five kids though, and so when I saw this up here, it was just such a blessing for me to be a part of a parent dedication morning. Uh, I think that uh, well, as I'll explain in just a little bit, our kids are in for an incredible challenge as they grow up in today's culture. And to see uh, four or five sets of families up here uh, wanting the best for their children is an encouragement to me. I've noticed even in our few minutes uh, this morning together that uh, you are certainly family oriented. And I love that. I love the fact that uh, while there's a time and place for us to separate and learn at different stages of life, the fact that we can come together as families and, and engage in corporate worship is, is encouraging to me. So thank you for having me. Um, I want to start this morning by just asking a simple question, and that is this. What makes you nervous? What is it that makes you nervous? What is it that ties your stomach in knots? And as you think about that, uh, I was reading recently an unofficial uh, survey that was taken recently. Here's what some people um, polled said. What makes me nervous? When my phone's at 1%, that makes me nervous. Uh, some people said, what makes me nervous is not having hand sanitizer. Thought that was interesting. Some people said, what makes me nervous? The Cheesecake Factory menu. It's like a boy that thinks like war and peace. Um, Choosing sizes when I'm doing my online shopping, that makes me nervous. Um, having dinner with family and friends and everyone's asking about my life, that makes me nervous. When a police officer is in the same car lane behind me, that, that makes me nervous. Seeing someone I know in, public, in a public place and not knowing whether or not I should talk to them. Um, how, how do I do that? I guess that makes some people nervous. And finally, not knowing what someone is talking about, but feeling like I have to pretend I know what they're talking about for fear of looking unintelligent. That makes me nervous. What makes us nervous? What, what, what makes you stay up at night? Uh, as Tad said, I work with high school students. I've been doing that for the past nine, nine or so years. Um, I've engaged with them. Uh, my studies um, educationally have been about the next generation of believers. And what makes me nervous, quite honestly, is where we're at as a society, where we're at as a culture, not just um, as a society, but as a, as a Christian culture. For instance, um, Brian, if you just want to uh, maybe walk through, Th these are just recent, this is just, guys, this is just me going through kind of some news 
uh, feeds and just pulling things, and these are all recent, so I didn't have to go back years and years and years. But some of these things should make us nervous as believers in Jesus. Um, Princeton's going to remove man from their official school material. So they're not called freshmen anymore. I don't know if you can see that, uh, but they're going to be called uh, new students, no longer called freshmen, but first year students. Because that's seemingly offensive. That's a microaggression. Uh, Princeton requires, if you go to print, uh, I'm sorry, University of Cincinnati now, you have to sign, not only staff have to sign this, but students have to sign um, a diversity and inclusion pledge, which just simply means that not only am I okay with diversity and inclusion, but I'm affirming diversity and inclusion. And whatever that means to the school, the school gets to define what that means. Uh, the next one there, the, the Bible, in public libraries now, guys, public libraries, the Bible is being challenged as a book that we should take off the shelves because it's offensive. That's never happened before. Um, the Satanic Club wants to meet now in elementary schools because they argue that if churches can do it, we can do it. And in one particular um, district, they were allowed to do it. Uh, the next one, um, there's a documentary in England, I believe, that men who want to live as dogs. Um, now, again, was this happening 20 or 30 years ago? Probably, but nobody knew about it because the internet wasn't up and, up and going. Now that it is, you can find communities of your desires and um, impulses and meet in hotel lobbies where families are on vacation. Uh, atheists now in England outnumber Christians. That's in our day and age today. Next one, um, their beliefs on homosexuality it got a student kicked out of college because they disagreed with it. They'd write a paper on it and because they disagreed with it, they kicked him out of the college. This guy on the right here, or you're, you're right, um, he's a bivocational pastor, he's a doctor, he's a physician, and he works at a hospital, and the hospital found out that in, on Sundays, when he preached in this small church in, in Atlanta, or near Atlanta, um, he was preaching messages that said something to the effect of one man, one woman, and that God's not a big fan of homosexuality. And those messages were, I think like here, uh, you, could, you could listen to them online, podcast kind of a thing. And so some people at the hospital were listening to them, he didn't mention the hospital, he didn't mention his, his, his other vocation, but they found out what he was preaching on and they let him go from his duties at the hospital because it didn't line up with what the hospital believed. That's happening today. Next one, um, this, this family here couldn't sell blueberries at the uh, farmer's market in their town because they believed in, um, they, they took a stance on gay marriage. And so the farmer's market said, well, fine, if you want to take that stance and not be inclusive, you can't sell blueberries at our, at our market. That's happening now. Uh, the people of faith are being driv driven out from public life. Next one. Uh, porn, obviously, has become the greatest threat to uh, Christ's cause in the modern world. And I know that, guys, if you go to the next one, uh, this survey was taken of four, uh, 813 people. And what they asked, see on the top left there, what actions do you deem are always or usually wrong? So they were asking a moral question. What do you deem is always wrong or mostly wrong? They asked adults 25 and older what they thought. And if you look down at number seven, number seven was viewing pornographic images, 54%. What did they say was worse than that, if you will? Look at the numbers above that. Overeating, um, wanting someone that belongs to someone else. Those, those things... Uh, and, and taking something that belongs, stealing is always wrong, or usually always, or 95% said. 54% said viewing pornographic images is wrong, which means that, what, 46% said, well, you know, it is what it is. 
But look over here, guys. This is the next generation of believers, teens 13 to 17. They've got viewing pornographic images, reading erotic material, etc. down 9, 10, and 11. So what do teens today think is worse than that? Well, look up at uh, number four, not recycling. Now, you don't have a blue bucket and a green bucket, Mom, and therefore, you know, we need to do something about that, right? That's worse than viewing pornography. Not, not just kind of worse, like that was number four. And pornography's down at number nine. Um, significant consumption of electricity or water, that's higher than viewing pornography to our teens today. That, that, you know, and guys, listen, let's save the planet. Like, I'm a big fan of that, but goodness gracious, worse than, than having an addiction to pornography? That's, that's what we're up against. Why is that all that happening? Next slide. The reason it's happening, guys, is simply this. What we're doing today, uh, did you hear what was going on up here with the parent dedication? And, and I love the way Tad mentioned that. Parents, we are responsible for growing our kids up in the Lord. We're not to dump them off at church or dump them off at Christian education. We're the primary focus for our kids. Studies are very clear that kids will adopt the faith of their parents up until about age 25. It's just, it's study after study after study shows that. And so what's happening is if you, if, these were 1,456 people that were surveyed, 19%, and these are, what they indicated was, I'm a practicing Christian. This isn't I'm agnostic or I, you know, cash. This is I'm a faithful practicing Christian. 19% of those surveyed said, no one can know for certain what, what meaning and purpose there is to life. That that's what 19% agreed with. Practicing believers said that. They also said over here, all people go to the same, all people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. And look finally over here to the far right, if you do good, you'll receive good. If you do bad, you'll receive bad. Where, where do you find that in the Bible? Look at the one over here. If your beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, it's wrong. That's what 15% of 1,456 people that were surveyed, practicing believers they identified themselves as, agreed with that statement. If my beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, it's wrong for me to believe that. That's why we're in the state we're in today. Next slide. Only 4% of millennials hold a biblical worldview, guys. 4%. See, when I came in to teach Christian education uh, nine years ago, I came in with an assumption that was a fairly solid assumption, which was you, we agree on certain things. And now I can use that as a platform and now build upon that. I can't make that assumption anymore. Nine years later, less than one generation later, I cannot make that assumption. When I sit, when I stand in front of 30 or so 14 to 18 year olds, I cannot make the assumption that we're all coming from the same worldview. Even though to get into the school I teach at, you had to sign something that said, I agree with a biblical worldview. I can't assume that anymore. Next one. Um, Christian Smith, Melinda Lundquist, Denton are the kind of the forerunners in this kind of stuff. Christian Smith says this, we found very few teens from any religious background who are able to articulate well their religious beliefs and explain how those beliefs connect to the rest of their lives. They found very few. They went and surveyed thousands and thousands of teens and they couldn't find many that could articulate what they really believe. Uh, it's called a willingness to embrace and live contradictorily. How do I know that? Next one. 
This was a survey taken. I don't want to keep boring you with statistics, but I just find these enough reason for me to be concerned, I guess is why I'm sharing this with you. I'm kind of front-loading this message to have us all agree that this should be a concern. Should I be concerned that my phone's at 1%? I guess. But in comparison, what should keep me up at night? Um, this statement was made, the Bible's 100% accurate, historically, factually, theologically, etc. 86% of Christian teens somewhat or strongly agree with that statement. Okay, that's good. Like, the Bible's accurate, good. The very next statement in this survey, the very next one, next one, the Bible, though generally accurate, contains some widely acknowledged errors and can't be completely trusting. 36% agreed with that. Now, guys, I'm not a mathematician, but if 86% say the Bible is historically accurate and factually true, and then the very next statement, 36% agree with the Bible, though generally accurate, has errors in it, well, that's contradictory. And the problem is, well, one of the problems is, I don't have a problem agreeing with both of those. That's what's being communicated here. And this is part of it. The next one, this is why. Is because on March 31st, when I went to search something on Google, that's the image I saw. And, and guys, we see this so much now. We're inundated with this. You just click on your search and you know, you're, just, you're, you're embracing it by not challenging it. Do you realize in that top image there what's being communicated? I mean, do, do, you, do you understand that? Do, do we understand what's being said? Well, what's being said is you've got transgender, you've got uh, Islam, you've got Jews, you've got uh, Christians, you've got um, naturalists, all together, all holding hands. And guess what age that, those graphics are right there? That's not, that's not by accident, gang, that they created an image where they're young kids. And what the, what the message there is, like the bottom one there. Let's just coexist. Let's hold hands and coexist. And we see that over and over and over again. Now guys, again, I don't know much, but I know this. We can all be wrong. We could all be wrong on all of this. The, the, the Muslim can be wrong. I can be wrong. The Jew can be wrong. The Mormon can be wrong. We can all be wrong. But here's the deal, guys. We all can't be right. You just sang a song five minutes ago that said, praise God the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, what, three in one. Do you know what, what, when you just sang that, do you know what you now call yourself? Do you know what I can call you because you sang that? You're a Trinitarian monotheist. And you didn't even know it. <laughs> praise the God, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. You, you just proclaim to these people in this room that I believe in the Trinity. I was talking to Jehovah's Witness yesterday. Yesterday I was talking to Jehovah's Witness. And I said to them, um, I, it, here's the deal. When people come to my door, um, I don't like to start the conversation with, I'm the spiritual life director at a Christian high school. I teach Bible. You know, I, I like to engage a little bit in the conversation because once I say that, walls go up, right? I mean, it, you know, it's just, okay, here we go. In fact... I was blacklisted from the 800 number when you called to get a free book of Mormon because I called it so many times just to debate. So they, they like, they <laughs> literally, I called one time and, they, and they, whoever the agent was said, uh, I'm sorry, what's your name? And I said my name and they said, okay, we're, you know, we're, like we're done like with this conversation. I thought, what is going on here? Anyway, so I'm talking to a Jehovah's Witness yesterday and, and I said, well, why do people have problems with you guys? 
he said to me, listen to this, he said to me, his wife, she's a um, auxiliary ambassador, I can't, pioneer something, he used some term. I said, well, how do you get to be one of those? And he said, you have to spend 70 to 80 hours a month proselytizing, meaning, meaning talking to people door to door. It's 70 to 80 hours a month. I said, are, are you serious? And he said, yeah, it's kind of her full-time job. Now, guys, on one, on one side of this, we could learn from that, right? I mean, we could learn from their dedication and commitment. But I said, well, okay, well, if that's the case, what, what, you know, what makes it, why, why do people like, not like you guys? What's the difference between maybe a Christian and what you believe? And you know what the first thing he said was? We don't believe in the Trinity. Which I knew that, I just wanted him to say that so that we could at least start the conversation agreeing that we disagree. You can't, you guys, you can't line up a faithful Jew, Muslim, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, New Age, and believer and have them agree on anything other than the world's hurting, we can go build wells somewhere and, you know. But if I took that team right there to go build a well in India, praise God that we're building a well in India, as long as none of us say anything to anyone, <laughs> then it will get built. But the minute a little, you know, Indian child comes up and says, what do you believe? You've got eight different worldviews, eight, on anything, the, the end times, the afterlife, I asked this guy yesterday, I said, what do you guys believe about the afterlife? I said, because I've heard something about 144,000. He said, oh yeah, 144,000 go live with Jesus and, and God, uh, Jehovah in, in, in heaven. And I said, well, where do you guys go? And he said, well, we go to paradise earth. And I said, well, Jesus comes and visits, right? He said, no. And I said, well, I thought believers, I thought Christians, they go to heaven and live with Jesus forever. He said, yeah, that's the difference. You, we, guys, we could all be wrong. We just all can't be right if we believe in different things. That's what concerns me. What concerns me is we're, we're the frog in the kettle. We're slowly being inundated through social media, through technology, through our culture, to where we wake up and say, well, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with this, Greg. That's what concerns me. So how do we stop it? What, what's it you know, how, what, what is this a message on? This is a message on uh, the only way I know how to stop it. Um, Jesus says, when someone asked him, what are the two greatest commandments? Remember what he said? Jesus said, just do two things. If, if, you want, if you want to turn the tide, if you want to have these precious young children up here grow up and love Jesus with everything they've got, if you care about not only your life, but the, the lives coming up under us, that, that want to know Jesus, Jesus says do, do two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you do those two things, gang, I can't imagine anyone who did those two things faithfully, dying and meeting Jesus face to face, and Jesus not saying to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You do those two things. We, we tend to just make the Christian life so complicated, I'm just too simple of a guy to recognize that when I see that, I, that's all I want to do. Love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love my neighbor as myself. 
We call that, in, in technical terms, I guess, we call that sanctification. This title of this is Soaring in the Lord. God, how do I soar in the Lord? And I just want to simply, I guess, tell us this morning that we need to do that both vertically and horizontally. So today and, and next week, we're going to talk about how do I soar in the Lord vertically. And then the next two weeks, we're going to talk about how do I soar in the Lord horizontally, meaning with one another. Love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. How do I do that? And so what God calls us to do is to grow in Him. I think the next slide uh, just gives you, this is what you and I are called to do as believers in Jesus. Now, the Greek and Hebrew mean nothing other than we're called to be different. That's what those two words simply mean. Just be different. In fact, Wayne Grudem, a great Bible teacher here in the valley even, gives us this definition. He says it's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. And guys, the evidence of this, the next slide, the next two slides, there are enough passages in the Bible that support this idea that you and I, as believers in Jesus, are to be different. We are to be set apart. How am I going to be set apart, Greg? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you have fulfilled the law. Well, how do I do that? Jesus says, um, if you're going to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, the only way you're going to do it is to recognize it's because of what I've done, not you've done. So what I want to start with this morning is just having us acknowledge this one fact, and that is this. The reason that you can be set apart, the reason that you can soar in your walk with Jesus is all because of what he did and not because of what you did. It's all because of who you are, not what you can do for the kingdom. You and I don't come into the kingdom, guys, and negotiate with God, here's what I can bring you, God. God comes and finds us depraved and wicked and says, I'm going to make you into something beautiful. Uh, we just sang a song. I love singing before I preach because I find these lyrics just invigorating. We just sang a song that said something about, and I was going to write it down, I forgot. Uh, Sin has no grasp on me or no, it has no hand, what, grip, no hold on me, no grip on me. Do you believe that? You sang it. Sin has no grip on me. Do you believe that? Go to Romans chapter 6 with me, please. Romans chapter 6 in the Bibles in your back of your seats there. Uh, it is uh, page 651, Romans chapter 6. The only reason I have a hope for soaring in my walk with the Lord is because of who I am, not what I've done. Uh, let's start in verse 15. Paul says this, and I find this amazing, because Paul says, talking about this issue of growing in Christ, being set apart, being sanctified in the Lord, he says, you should be doing that. If Paul were here this morning, gang, he might even ask this kind of a question. 
if you've been a believer for longer than a year, so go back to June of 2016, have you grown in the Lord in this past year? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that answer for every one of us, I want to be careful how I say this, should be yes. That's, that's an obvious question, Paul. But I wonder in the church today, guys, if, that's, if that is an obvious question. How do I know that? Because look at verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you're present, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking on human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Who are you in Jesus if you know Jesus? Look at verse 18 again. Who am I in Jesus? I am someone who has been set free from sin. That's who I am. Now the question is, is do you believe that? Do you believe you've been set free from sin? Go back, let's take the front end and go back. Go back to uh, Romans chapter six, but look at, verses, look at verse four. These are what we call uh, positional truths. And a positional truth, guys, is simply this. It's true regardless of if I believe it's true. Does that make sense? A positional truth is true even if I don't feel like it's true, or even if I'm not thinking it's true, it's true regardless. Here are some positional truths that I want you who know Jesus Christ this morning to rest in. Um, verse four of chapter six. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, and that if there is, it could be worded since, it's, it's, a, it's a condition in the original language that basically says it's true, it's agreed upon, that since. So I'm gonna read it as this. For since we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a re resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if, or since, now since we have died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So too, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Jesus. My question for us today, guys, is do you believe that? And not just do you believe it, but does it translate then into the way you live your life? You see, if I, if I don't believe that I've been set free from sin, guess what I will enter my day believing? I have to sin. It's regardless of how, how hard I try, I must be sinning because that's just my human nature and that's just the way it is. Paul says something completely different, gang. He says, you've been set free from sin. Sin no longer has its grasp on you. You are a slave to righteousness, not to sin leading to death. I'm just wondering this morning, do we live our lives like that? And the only way, the only way I know how to live my life like that is to accept this truth. I wake up every day, and whether I want to believe it or not, I say to God, God, I'm a child of the King, I've been set free from sin, sin no longer is master over me, and therefore I don't have to give in. Not because of my strength, but because of who I am in you. My identity in you gives me the power to say no to sin. Make sense? I don't, guys, listen, my wife and I are failing miserably, but trying to work out every day. It's brutal. It's, it's just, it's, a, it's an exercise in futility. Here's what I found amazing, though. As feeble as our efforts are, when we walk out into this hot, sweaty garage with a few weights and a few pull-up things and whatever, because we're off for the summer now, as I mentioned, I got five kids, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 17. Um, pray for me. Um, <laughs> we walked out, what, two days ago? And we're just, you know, we're dragging, like, let's just go do this, you know, let's just get it done, like, really motivated. Two of the five followed us out into the garage with their sneakers on and their socks on, you know, and we're just gonna get, you know, all 60 pounds of them, we're just gonna get ripped, Dad. Guess, guess when that never would have happened? Or I guess, let me ask it another way. Why did that happen? Why did my two kids choose to work out that day? Because I did it, because mom and dad did it. This is why it's so important, guys, that my identity in Jesus needs to translate into my behavior because when I do it, I'm modeling to those around me what it looks like to be set apart, what it looks like to be sanctified. But I can't do that unless I start by believing who I am in Jesus. That's where this all starts. I could have given you four messages on do, 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 do. But unless we establish as a foundation who I am and the blessing I've received from God, all of these things become futile because at some point, the doing gets to become too difficult. And then I acquiesce and I give in and all of a sudden I'm back to where I started from, probably two steps behind where I started from. So I wanted to start this morning by just saying, hey, the next four weeks, come journey with me, but let's all agree 
that this is where we start. This is our starting place. Whether I feel it or not, or believe it or not, my starting place, according to the Bible, is I am free from sin because I am a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. That's where we begin. Now, my question, I guess, is, is do you believe that's a big blessing? How big of a blessing do you believe that is? We hear that, especially those of us who have grown up in the church quite a bit. Yes, I've been free from sin. Yes, I'm a child or, or, or son or daughter of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure that you re really acknowledge or I acknowledge more than I should uh, how big of a blessing that is. Um, this is the weakest illustration I could come up with, but let me see if I could illustrate it. Um, could, would you, could you come up here with me? What's your name? Brooke. Brooke. Can you welcome Brooke? This is so unplanned, so this could bomb. God says to Brooke, Brooke, I've saved you. I've made you a new creature. You were a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to me. You were a slave of lawlessness. Now you're a slave of righteousness. I am going to set you up to live a life that is set apart for me, holy and sanctified. And in the end, as Romans 6 says, you get heaven. On top of all of that, not only this side of heaven do you, do you win, but then you get to spend eternity with me forever. That's what's at stake here by God doing everything and Brooke doing nothing. And so God says, this is what it represents. It's like, it's, it's, it's sugar daddy. Right? And listen, uh, it, it'll make sense in a little bit, but I'm not saying God's a sugar daddy, okay? This is, that was, I'm serious about this. That was purely coincidental. I just picked that kind of candy. My wife said, did you realize it says sugar daddy? I said, oh my gosh, no. That's so, I'm just saying that God gives Brooke a blessing. Do you see the blessing there? But guys, most of us see that and that's the way we view it as, oh, well, I didn't have that. Now I have it. But honestly, like, is that really what God did for us? So, so God says, no, actually, it's like this. It's, a, it's that kind of a blessing. Like, we thought it was like, you know, yay. And God says, actually, Brooke, it's, it's you know, I'm blessing you to live a life of freedom in me. But some of us, like, we get stuck on, like, it's this. And God says, actually, it's like this. <laughs> See, guys, we set our expectations so small. And God says, do you realize how big of a blessing I've, I've given you just by saving you? It's this. It's not this. Actually, God says, it's this. <laughs> Some of us, guys, we think salvation, we think us getting saved is this. Like, thanks for the, thanks for the handout, God, but I've got this life. And this is the way we treat us getting saved. And God says, it's, it's kind of more like this. Like, I'd like to see Brooke eat, you know, sit down and eat this, right? Like, she could power through this, but because but she, you know, I mean, so here, Brooke, that's my gift to you today. So, yeah, yeah so. How do you view what God did for you? This, this whole, 
overarching theme I told Chuck the other day is I, I want this whole overarching theme this morning to be praise God. Because of all the things that God challenges us in an adventuresome type way to do throughout our lives here on earth. And they're difficult and we're up against culture and it's gonna be more and more difficult with the persecution that's gonna come. All of these fascinating things we get to do this side of heaven, but it begins with praising him for what he's done for us. The reason I have even any ounce of energy to stand up and up here, guys, is because of what God did for me. That's, that's why I get to do this. That's why we get to have Bible studies. That's why in what, a couple months, I am so excited for you guys. You guys get to have two services in a couple months. And Pastor Chuck told me that um, there's gonna be hundreds of service opportunities. And some of you are gonna get up in a couple months and you're gonna wonder, why am I doing this? Well, it was hard enough, Greg, to serve coffee, you know, once a certain, I get it twice? It was, it, was, it was a struggle for me to get my family here from eight to 10. Now I'm gonna get here from seven to noon? I mean, what you, yeah. And then one day we're all gonna die and, and, and we get to rest in heaven. But until then, there's work to be done. It's how I'm gonna view that work is what's gonna make it, is what's gonna make Pastor Chuck really happy or really frustrated throughout the week. And guys, I see that as just a great opportunity if, if I start with my foundation, which is I am a new creature in Christ. And because I'm over here serving coffee or working with the kids or greeting people, I can help other people find that new identity in Jesus. And when we have that kind of attitude, then when we walk onto this campus here at Church on Mill, people are joyfully serving the Lord. The way I think we'll win people in the near future, guys, to the Lord um, is by our actions. Is when they see us against a culture that is swimming in sewage, and they see us joyfully getting up every day, fighting the good fight, running the race well, as well as we can, because we're founded in our identity in Jesus, that's an attraction to people that they're desperately looking for in today's day and age. Here's what I wanna end with. I'd like for everyone to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12, let's see if I can find it too. Um, it's after Titus and Timothy and Hebrews 12, I believe it's on 697. And could we do this, uh, we're not gonna do this every week, but could we all stand, could you stand, and if you don't have a Bible, look on to someone next to you. I want us to proclaim together Hebrews 12, verse one. I just want us to read together, to proclaim to God what's at stake here as we kind of journey through this issue of soaring in the Lord. Let's all read this out loud together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That was so good, let's keep going, let's go to verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God.